We've been preaching this spring semester in a series that I titled Selfish versus Soul-Filled. Selfish versus Soul-Filled. And today's sermon, which continues in that series, is when Jesus calls your name. When Jesus calls your name. Did you know one little word could change your entire life? One, one word, one word. One word could rock your world, rock the world, and turn it upside down. One word could change eternity. I can't even comprehend eternity. One word could change eternity for you, for me, for all of us. One word. Jesus said to her, Mary. The one word that changed the world and the universe for Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, was in fact her own name. But you know, I'm sure she had heard her name called by hundreds, probably thousands of people. Interestingly enough, because of who Jesus is and because of her faith, billions of people have now read and named her name. But you know what really matters is the one calling your name. I mean, forget the billions, forget the millions, forget the thousands who have called her name, forget the maybe thousands, tens of thousands who have called your name. The one who matters is the one who made you and the one who can save you and the one in whom is life and life eternal. The one word, the one name when Jesus called Mary Magdala, Mary, Mary. I want you to focus on that and focus on something I will repeat. It's when she hears him call her name that she can see him and know him and believe. Let me repeat that. I'm going to repeat that again in my opening points, but it, it's when she, Mary, hears him, listens to his voice, not her own, not the distractions and the disarray, but hears his voice, listens to his voice. Then she sees and believes when Jesus calls her name. So when Jesus calls your name, we're going to be turning to a couple passages from John's gospel, the gospel according to John, first to chapter 10 in John's gospel, verses 2 through 4, and then picking up at verse, verses 14 through 18. Then we're going to go to John chapter 20, beginning at verse 11. Hear now God's word. Jesus is speaking, contrasting himself with the false shepherds, the thieves, who don't have authority to come in through the gate and who climb over and try to steal and harm the sheep. Jesus says, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep, his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And then moving ahead in this great proclamation by Jesus, just a verse 14. I am, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also so that they will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me. And here it is. Because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. And then to John chapter 20. Picking up the story at the empty tomb, uh, John and Peter have left and Mary Magdalene is still there. The other women may have left as well. We know that John really focuses in on Mary of Magdala in particular, picking up at verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and, and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, my beloved teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. She turned and said, Rabboni, when she heard him say one little word, the risen Jesus, the Lord of the universe, called her his own to him, called her by name. You know the way of the heart, right? The way of the heart, the way of love in life and in death is like this. I remember when I was a young man, 25 years old, and my father was dying in a coma. 
And I prayed about, you know, I knew that if it were God's will to, to take my father home, but I also so longed personally <laughs> to see my father again. I'd been away um, at that time, actually studying for the bar exam, I was about to take the bar exam, and he's in, he's in a coma, and, and I, I fly back home, and the one thing I wanted had really very little to do with myself other than my relationship with him. I mean, it is about me, but it's, it's, it was really about him. What I wanted was not to hear anything I had to say or figure out things for myself. I just wanted him to wake up and speak to me one more time, even if this were the last time. That's the way love is. We want the loved one, don't we? We want the loved one. Is, it, is that mainly about us? Is it like, hey, dad, wake up and speak so I can go grab something to eat or go to a ball game or something? No, it's all about focus on him. Mary Magdalene shows us this kind of love at the tomb, although she thinks Jesus is dead. Nevertheless, it is a, it's a model to begin with. One takeaway from this, this scene is that it's a model of selfless love for her dead. She thinks he's dead. Um, you know, beloved teacher, rabbi, savior. Remember, Jesus delivered Mary Magdalene from seven demons. Count them, seven demons. We read this in Luke chapter 8 and in Mark chapter 16. I mean, this is a woman whose life has been totally saved already by Jesus from death and darkness into life, from demonic possession. Uh, she loves Jesus. She follows Jesus. She's a follower. She's a disciple, a woman disciple of Jesus. And here she is with a model of unselfishness at great risk. At great risk, she wants to care for the corpse of her condemned beloved leader and teacher. Okay? She's willing to risk everything. Willing to risk whatever soldiers might do to her, you know, going to this tomb. Willing to risk whatever might happen and willing to pay the price. So that's one takeaway, this unselfishness modeled by Mary. But of course, she's in for the greatest surprise, not only of her life, but of all of human history. And second, again, notice that when Jesus greets Mary, her focus is on him. It's not like, oh, well, thank the Lord. Now I can be relieved. Is that what she says? No, it's all about him. She is totally focused on him. Third, um, as I've already said, Mary comes to a knowledge of the risen Jesus. And we see this, this, this happens in basically all of Jesus's appearances on Resurrection Sunday. It's Jesus but people don't initially recognize that it's Jesus. They come to know Jesus, the risen Lord, and their eyes are opened, basically. The scales fall off. When they hear and respond to, when they listen to Jesus speaking to them truly and calling them to himself. And the classic example is Mary here. You know, at first she doesn't understand who Jesus is, and she loves Jesus as much as anyone else. But it's when she hears him call her name, that her eyes are open, that the light of life comes on and she knows. See, to hear requires us to focus on him instead of ourselves. Let me repeat that in any relationship, you know, in a marriage relationship, in a parent-child relationship, you really hear a lot better if you focus not so much on what's going on with you, 
but the other person. Notice this. This is the basic lesson of faith here. By the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit, she opens herself to listen to Jesus and to understand he's not the gardener, although he is ultimately the gardener, but he's so much more. He is the gardener who makes the garden all the way from the beginning to the end. So as Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing. Well, yes, faith does come by hearing, and here it is in action. Um, Specifically, the Lord's voice calling her name and God willing, calling your name. Jesus says the good shepherd calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Um, I'm going to come back to one fourth point on this Mary Magdalene story, but right now let me pick up on the fact that, of course, Jesus here is fulfilling what he's prophesied in what we read in John chapter 10, Jesus's proclamation and prophecy about the good shepherd. Now, truth in advertising, I'm gonna try to dig a little bit into this, but we really need to come back and preach through John or do something else to try to get into, even begin to do justice to Jesus's proclamation and prophecy about the good shepherd. But let me say this, Basically, John chapter 10 and the the proclamation and prophecy about the good shepherd, Jesus basically lays out everything that's going to happen, not only through his death and resurrection, but ultimately all the way to you get to the opening pages of the book of Revelation. Okay, it's all there. So Jesus says that he is the authorized one, the, the, the authorized shepherd, the gatekeeper opens for him. The picture here is in Judea and Galilee and, and throughout Palestine in those days, and even now with some traditional shepherds, they don't shepherd like we're maybe used to imagining. You know, they don't have sheep dogs, they don't have border collies. The shepherd is in a personal relationship with a specific group of sheep, and he has his own sheep. And uh, there's, there's joint communal, oftentimes pasturing and pinning at night, okay? So, by the way, for instance, for some of us who maybe only come to church around Christmas and Easter, you're going to be saying, hey, pastor, you're always talking about shepherds, because the last time I was at church, you were talking about shepherds abiding in a field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And I'll say, yes. And I'll say, hey, remember in that story, it's not like one shepherd over here and another shepherd five miles away that the heavenly host is having to run around to talk to, right? Remember the shepherd's are together, okay? It's communal pasturing and at night putting together in a pen. And then this is really interesting. Here's the way it works. The, uh, and what Jesus is referring to here is that let's say these 24 sheep belong to me and those 15 sheep and five goats belong to, you know, Joe who, who lives down the road from me, but our, our sheep and goats are all together. But when I come in the morning, the gatekeeper knows me, the one who's been lying across the gate. You, you, and oftentimes you got one shepherd whose job is to watch the flock at night. He knows me, and so I have authority to come in and I call my little group of 24 sheep and they come out with me. The other sheep and goats stay for their shepherd. That's what Jesus is talking about, communal calling. It's, it's, that's the way it works. If you think about a really well-voice-trained dog or maybe a hunting dog that's really good, so this is the kind of activity, this is the kind of relationship. Fully trained. The sheep hear his voice, he calls his own, and, and they come to him. And 
we could do the video maybe. The, the, the video's fun, if we can pull it up. If we can go ahead and do the video, like, yes, watch this video. This happens nowadays, this is in Scandinavia. It's a video of several girls trying to call says he not only calls his group of sheep, he calls them individually by name. Reverend Archibald G. Brown, who was a uh, younger colleague of uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and uh, Archibald Brown preached at the East London Tabernacle. Um, for years in the late 1800s, and then succeeded actually Spurgeon at, at his tabernacle. But in the spring of 1897, Archibald Brown was traveling in the Holy Land. And he was in the Holy Land actually right before Passover and Easter time. And he had always wondered about this calling by name thing. So uh, he had a friend who spoke fluent Arabic and he was there moving around in the Holy Land with this friend. And he said, could we ask this shepherd? There was a Palestinian Arabic shepherd there who um, he said, how does it work? Can you really call your sheep by name? And the shepherd said, yeah, absolutely. That's what, that's what I do. And they said, okay, well, look, we will buy you a great dinner tonight if you can uh, display this for us. And so Archibald Brown said that what then happened next was really striking. The this Palestinian shepherd then goes into this really weird, interesting, unique cry. And he's got sheep all over a big valley. And one sheep, one individual sheep, who's with about five others, you know, grazing in one little area, one sheep of, of the five in this area, his ears pop up, and or she actually, and she jumps over some rocks and comes running to the shepherd. And then the shepherd turns around and he, he looks in the other direction and down in this little ravine, there's about eight sheep. And he does this other cry that's different than the first one that he did. And one sheep, one little black sheep over there comes running to the shepherd. And he repeated this about seven times. And he said, do you understand now? They said, yes, we understand. And Archibald Brown said, sure enough, Jesus was not exaggerating. The shepherd can not only call his sheep in general, every sheep that belongs to him, but call them by name. Jesus here is telling us who he is as our shepherd, who he can be as your shepherd. The I am the good shepherd is the central of seven I am statements that Jesus makes that are spread across 
the Gospel of John from chapter 6 through 15. And, and so, in other words, it's the middle one. You have to understand this I am statement of Jesus to get the rest. In other words, to flow into, by the way, uh, the fifth one is I am the resurrection and the life. And the sixth one is I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And the seventh one is I am the vine, you are the branches. By the time you get to the central one, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is telling us clearly that, yeah, among other things, this I am statement that he's making is saying he is God come to us, and he is telling us the ways in which he comes to us. It's, it's very clear by this point. Uh, one thing is, in all these I am statements, Jesus is double underlining the I am statement. In the Old Testament, God says I am. I am who I am. Okay? So it, 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 at least as we get it in John's Greek, you don't just say a me, I am. He says ego a me, which is double underlining. Say I am. I am God. Okay. So I am the God who is the good shepherd. You remember that prayer a lot of us learned when we were little? God is great. God is good. Why do we say God is good? Because like Jesus says in the New Testament, only God is good. Not only is God all-powerful, right? I want an all-powerful God, don't you? But is he good? And the answer, Jesus confirms this, is oh yes, he is good. He is loving. He is redeeming. So Jesus is not only the great shepherd, he's also the good shepherd. And uh, Jesus is telling us that he's basically fulfilling, there's all kinds of Old Testament prophecies about condemnation of bad shepherds, in other words, kings and political and religious leaders. God condemns them through multiple prophets and multiple prophecies. And then we get this message, this building message that we read in Isaiah and Ezekiel, a little bit in Jeremiah and Zechariah, that God is going to send a Messiah, someone in the line of David. It's like David himself is going to return, only better, a better David, and he will shepherd God's people. But in the midst of those prophecies, you have several of these prophecies in Isaiah and Ezekiel, I mean, right alongside it, where God says, I myself will come and save my sheep. I myself will gather my lost sheep. And so you might ask, well, what are these prophecies saying? Is it the Messiah who's going to come? Or is it God himself who's going to come? And the answer is, guess what? My favorite answer. Yes, both and. Jesus is telling us when he's talking in John 10, yes, I am the Lord himself who comes. The Lord is my shepherd. Remember what David said? You think I'm the shepherd? I'm the king. The Lord is my shepherd. So Jesus is coming as God and as the anointed, promised Messiah and Savior. So Jesus tells us how he comes. He says, I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. You remember all those sheep examples we just gave? It's just, this is, Jesus is telling us, this is what his relationship is like with us. And notice this, he has particular sheep and he calls them by name. Uh, secondly, Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Now he says this, he says the good shepherd does it. And then he says three times, catch that three times. Okay. He repeats, I lay down my life for the sheep, verse 15, 17, and 18. 
And there's a lot of risk in shepherding. You know this, right? I mean, in the kind of shepherding we're talking about in the Bible. You remember when David takes on Goliath, is willing to take on Goliath? David says, I can kill this giant. After all, I've killed lions and bears who've attacked or tried to attack my sheep. Does that sound like an easy nine to five job? No, this is a day in, day out. You live with the sheep. You lay down your life for the sheep. There's a lot of risk. Brian Chappell recounts um, the story of Carla Jacob, the mother of a two-month-old baby girl in St. Louis in 1996. She was in an old rickety apartment building in one of these situations where a massive fire um, raged suddenly in this old apartment building. And there was Carla Jacob with her two-month-old baby daughter. And Carla Jacob realized she might be able to jump out and escape, but her baby would die. And so as, as basically the window of opportunity narrowed quickly, she stayed with her baby, Carla Jacob did, and she went into her little bathroom and she put about a few, just a few inches of water into the bathtub. And she laid her baby face up in the bathtub. And then Carla Jacob got a big coat, the biggest coat that she had, and she covered herself and her baby and lay on top of her baby and positioned herself so that her baby could still breathe above the water and through her. And then what happened about an hour later when the fire uh, fighters arrived, you know, that building was so badly charred. I mean, her apartment complex, her apartment, you know, square was basically gone. They went in, they, they cut their way through and there they found that bathtub, okay, with a lot of burned around it. And they found the charred body of Carla Jacob and they gently removed her corpse. And underneath was a breathing, crying baby girl. Jesus says, that's what I do for each one of you who belongs to me only more. I lay down my life and Jesus also tells us this, it's not just about me, it's not just about you. I have other sheep. He, he says this to the Jews because he has Gentiles he's gonna bring in. But notice it's the same dynamic. They will know him and know his voice and he will call them, they will listen to his voice. This is the key, because they're his sheep too. They just happen to be Gentiles, but they're named in him. He claims them, they listen to his voice. They will come to him also so there'll be one flock and one shepherd. And then fourth, Jesus says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I can take it back up again. This is the dilemma answered, right? Because we got a big problem that the shepherd's dead forever, okay? But he's not. He has authority and he knows it, heading to the cross and beyond the cross to lay his down life. And he has authority. Remember, authority is a big word. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples. So he has that kind of authority to take up his life again. Now, big picture, we are invited into a family reality. I have news for you in case you missed it. You're not actually literally sheep, you're people, and you are called into a family relationship with Jesus. That's part of the incredible news about Resurrection Sunday. Jesus tells Mary, go to my brothers. Did you hear that? And these are guys who bailed out on him. He says, go to my brothers, their family with him. And you tell them this, that, that I am ascending to my father and listen to this, your father. Remember, in my father's house are many rooms I go to prepare a place for you. Okay, here it is, right? 
Um, I go to prepare a place for you. My father, your father, to my God and your God. All who know him and listen to Jesus' voice are by amazing grace from God adopted into his family forever. It's an incredible message of Resurrection Sunday. So Resurrection Sunday is either a celebration for you, if you're already belonging to him, hearing his voice, or an invitation. So let me just say, if you already know his voice, let's celebrate. If you don't know his voice, I mean, let me ask you this personally. Do you really hear from Jesus? Do you really know? Have you known him calling your name unto salvation? If you do not live in that relationship with him, I want to invite you to surrender yourself to Jesus, to ask him by his spirit to open your ears and your soul to hear him. That's the invitation this day. He's calling. May he call you and may you hear and respond. Jesus actually says, you know, this is just kind of a foretaste of the big picture call. Jesus says it's recorded in John chapter 5, verse 25. Amen, amen, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear. Did you, did you listen to that? Those who hear, hear his voice calling their name, will live. See, you, you, you have the opportunity to know his voice and to know the way he calls your own name. He has a particular, unique way he calls you. May you receive that and live in that now and in the hour of ultimate call. Back to Mary Magdalene, just see how unselfish she is giving herself, focusing on Jesus. And then notice Jesus calls her ultimately, and he calls each one of us who believe in him to more unselfishness. She's clinging to him. And he says, look, I haven't ascended yet. You're going to get to see me more over the next 40 days. But this isn't, remember, Mary, this isn't mainly about you. I've got broken brothers and sisters who need to hear the news. I mean, catch this. What's going on right now? is although John has looked in and kind of believed he doesn't really know what's happening, Mary is the first one who fully gets what's happened on Easter. The first person on earth in that while. John has seen and believed about the empty tomb and the clothes. But, but now Mary gets the whole point. It's Jesus. It's really Jesus. Should she keep it to herself, selfish? <laughs> or should she be soul-filled and go and tell the broken brothers and sisters and ultimately the broken world about Jesus? What do you think? I think she needs to go and tell. What about you? If you know Jesus, the obvious thing that Jesus is saying to you is, go and tell my brothers and sisters. Don't just have your quiet time and clinging to me and saying, finally, peace and comfort with Jesus. Go out and tell others, even those who are not ready or resistant to hear, tell others. And so ultimately, the fourth point on Mary Magdalene is in her great surprise and in her awesome celebration, Jesus himself invites her and commands her to be a missionary and an evangelist for him and to call the whole family home. That's what we celebrate today, and that's what we celebrate as we prepare to baptize Rilla and for all of us to go forth in the good news of Jesus to tell others. May it be so, and may you know the good news of his calling your name, and through you, his calling 
the names of others too. Indeed, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.